Amen, amen, amen. It's good to see you. Turn your neighbor and say, it's good to see you. Turn your other neighbor and say, it's good to lay my eyes on you. Amen, amen. It's good to, it's good to be with you on this Thanksgiving preparation week. We hope that, um, that you have uh, at least formulated the plan. And, uh, you know, Kroger has been packed. And uh, you don't want to, uh, we should have preached that, Rav. You, you don't want to be found unprepared on Thanksgiving Eve for your meal time. So I hope it's already. But uh, obviously it's Thanksgiving season, it's full bloom. Uh, Christmas season, the holiday season's in full bloom. And we know that uh, this Friday um, after Thanksgiving uh, will be what, y'all? It's going to be Black Friday. And we all know what that is, right? We're not dressed up in black. It's not blackface, but it's Black Friday. And, uh, you know, and never to be mistaken with Cyber Monday. <laughs> you, know, you know, the essence, the essence of Black Friday, you know what I mean? You don't want to mess with that. It's waking up 2 a.m. in the morning, sitting in Walmart's parking lot next to a million other people <clears throat> who are all looking for the same thing you're looking for and the dash is on. But, right, the deal with Black Friday is the fact that it's the doorbusters, right? I was, um, actually, we walked into Guitar Center to pick up some stuff yesterday, and, and right in the front of the store, they already preparing. They had the keyboard on special discount. Um, it was a doorbuster, and we know what the doorbuster is. It's right, when, when you kind of uh, uh, go to the store, you realize that they don't usually have this stuff marked down as low as they have it marked down for Black Friday, right? So um, that famous... KitchenAid mixer that you've had your eye on for quite some time. And you've been begging your honeydew, honey, I really need a KitchenAid mixer for the cakes that I cook once every six months. I'm not talking about anybody's house in here. I'm just making an illustration here. But, you know, but honey, it's regular $349, but this weekend it's going to be $159. Now, honey, I can't afford to miss this deal. This is a door buster. And, you know, when you get to Walmart, you get to Macy's, you get to Sears. Now, there's a certain etiquette and a pace. The fact is there is no etiquette, okay? When you get to the door buster, you there for a reason. And we're not walking, right? It's a reason why the doorbuster deals go viral, right? I have a good time watching them on Saturday after Black Friday. Friday, I'm like, you know, you watch the Today Show and you're like, oh my, oh, ooh. Now listen, I just want to say this. How many of y'all planning on going out Black Friday? You love it. You've been doing it with your mom, your auntie, sister, and you like going out Black Friday. Some of you lying because you know where I'm coming. You're lying because you know you love it, but you know where I'm coming. All I want to say is this. Enjoy yourself Black Friday. I hope you get the PS1 you're looking for, Xbox One, whatever it is you're looking for. But listen, if you're going to be at the front of the line, please don't wear your Avenue shirt. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Just don't. Don't do it. We not coming to bail you out of jail. We not coming. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to lift you up. But when we see you body slamming that 87-year-old lady, don't even tell nobody you're a Christian. Just leave it alone. Okay? Just act right. But, but it's the reality of it. It is funny, but you know, if you're on a mission looking for what you're looking for, you ain't walking into that store, right? Even the most chill of us are power walking. Even the most chill of us are. You are running to get to where you got to get to because you know this is a deal like no other. What we're going to look at in Mark 2 is one of my favorite stories, but essentially when we see Jesus on the beginning of his public ministry, he is wrecking things 
And his power and authority are on full display. And we're just going to look at our four friends. I don't know why I gave them a number, but we're going to look at our friends today and the extreme measures they went to to experience this power and authority. Now, here's the flip side. When we fail to realize our great need that we have and the Lord's unlimited power and authority, it changes the manner in which we pursue him. When we forget how much we need him and we forget how much he can do, it changes the pace by which we approach him. And I pray that this story today would set the tone for our lives, right? And that we too would run to the one who has unlimited power and authority. Amen. So today, as we examine, we're going to look at our need to experience his power. Three things. We're going to look at our need to experience his power, the questioning of his power, and the best use of his power. Right? We're going to look at our need for his power. We're going to look at the questioning of his power. And then we're going to look at the best use of his power. So let's go back and read verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room even at the door. And he was preaching the word to him. We find Jesus doing exactly what he said he wanted to do. You remember in the end of Mark 1, he said, hey, man, after they rebuked him for praying, He's like, hey, man, let's get up and let's go. I want to keep preaching in the neighboring and the near, nearby towns. And he'd be touring throughout all of those towns in Galilee. And he's preaching about the imminent rule of God and the need for repentance and trust in him. Let's look at the need for his power. Verse 3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So we have these four men carrying their poor, poor paralyzed friend to receive healing from the intoxicating miracle worker named Jesus right? Everybody's been hearing it. The town's a buzz. The whole region's a buzz. And these men said, hey, man, we get up. We're going. We're going to bring them no matter how we get them there. And there were so many people literally at this dwelling that when they got up to the front door, man, they pull up. They, first of all, I guess they couldn't park. No camels. I don't know what I'm just saying, saying. But, you know, they get to the front door. They can't get in the front door. Now, the ways that the houses were built um, in Galilee is they kind of stack. Some of y'all have been to the Middle East and you've kind of seen the terrain and you've seen how cities were orchestrated and constructed, but the houses kind of stacked and then kind of side by side, but then they would have these flat roofs, right? So when the men saw that they can't get in, they went around and there's a little ladder that takes you up to the roof of, of your dwelling. Now, you would go up there, you catch fresh air sometimes. If you were entertaining company, you would catch the ladder and you would take them on your rooftop, right? So it's maybe not uncommon that they would be found on the roof. But all of a sudden, as Jesus is preaching and he's doing his thing, right, he's, he's telling about the imminent rule of God, all of a sudden, there, there's debris starting to fall on people's heads. Now, that's a little strange, a little mud dropping. Oh, okay, they wiped it off. Oh, man, you spit on me. No, I ain't spit on you. No, that's not, right? So they're wiping it off, right? And then all of a sudden, they're starting to see little cracks and little daylight. And then all of a sudden, they see human hands kind of combing through and all of a sudden, they can see clear through to the atmosphere. What the heck is going on, right? Now, the thing about these roofs where they were, you know, I, um, I used to own a house. I bought a fixer-upper, but I wasn't a fixer-upper. It was a little <laughs> bit of a problem. 
But, you know, the, the walls, they didn't use uh, the, uh, the drywall. Somebody help me who know what I'm talking about. They didn't use the drywall, but actually they, they would use horsehair plaster, right? They would take it and they take the horsehair, string it through there, and they take another kind of mudding substance, and they splatter it, and that's how you would kind of form the walls up. And imagine that the rules were made similarly, right? There's dried bricks of clay or mud or maybe even some kind of tile. But all of a sudden, people are using fingernails and clawing through this thing. The determination just to get to the man who can do all these wonderful miracles. When all of a sudden, everybody who was gathered began to see some apparatus letting somebody down out of the roof and falling down right there before him. And then finally, when the apparatus or the stretcher gets stable, Jesus looks and he looks to the four friends and he says, Today, your sins are forgiven. Now, what makes people claw through layers of baked mud? Faith is what it is. And what moves the power and the virtue of Jesus? Faith is what it is. And oh, how in the age of intellectual Christianity have we forgotten about good old faith? The only thing the only currency in God's kingdom. The old reformers, understanding how essential faith was, they kind of painted a concept for us about faith. They broke it up into three parts. Some of you have heard this before. Notitia, it refers to the content of one's faith, right? Or the things that we believe. You can't just say, I have faith. You have to, have, you have to put the prepositional phrase behind it, right? You have to have faith in something, right? You don't just say, I got faith great. <laughs> but what do you have faith in? And so in order to believe, we must know something about someone or something. His name is Jesus. A census is the second stage. It's our conviction of what we believe, right? It's our conviction that the content of our faith is true. Genuine faith says the content that is only taught by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is true, right? And then the third phase refers to personal trust and reliance. It's the what do you do with what you know and what you believe to be true. Knowing and believing the content of Christian faith is not enough. Even the demons do that, James 2.19, you know that. Faith is only effectual if knowing about and assenting to the claims of Jesus, one personally trusts in him alone for salvation. What do you do with what you know and believe? You must act. Remember that quote? I think Blake said it. I repeated it a couple weeks ago. Luther says, hey, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. You don't just say, I have faith. I believe. I believe. Right? Oh, if I believe that the ground can catch me, I believe this ground can catch me. I believe it can catch me. I believe it's sturdy and stable. Do I? Do I? You can talk back to me, it's black kind of sermon, you know what I'm saying. Do I? No, no, just believing it's not enough. What do I have to do to confirm and validate that I believe the ground's good? I got to jump. I have to act. The three stages, you got to have faith in something. You got to know that it's true, and then you got to act upon the truth, people. Got to act upon the truth. This is the way that it's always been. Consider Abraham. You remember that Genesis 12? That Remember, God said, hey, you're going to be Father Abraham. I mean, oh, I love it. I love it, right? Many sons, right? But what was the problem? Uh, 
Sarah would definitely, and Abraham, be the oldest members of the avenue right now. By a long shot, right? They old! Now how are we going to have babies? How is our descendants going to be as numerous as the stars? Abraham believed what God said. And him believing what God said, that was accredited to his account as righteousness. He didn't just know it. He believed. He acted upon it. How do we know he trusted the Lord? Because he did something. He acted. He kept following the Lord. This is all recorded in Hebrews 11. We call it the hall of faith. Abraham, you'll find, he left his country. God says, get up, Abraham, and go to a land I'll show you. And he did. He left his country. Noah, when there was no rain around, he started working on this massive building project. While everybody around him was talking about him saying, you stupid fool, he's building this big old boat that could survive a big storm. Moses renounced his royal heritage. Rahab betrayed her own people so that her city could be besieged. I don't know how much more of a clearer picture in the Bible, in all the scriptures, that we have of what faith looks like. Faith moves. Faith acts. All of these people did something because they were convinced of the reality of God. And they were convinced that they were beholding him. Faith is always, as I see it in the Bible, hear me out. It's always life disrupting. And it's always kind of all or nothing. And it, it's never a convenient addition. Oh, I think I have room enough for another child. <laughs> I think it's the right season to, you know, buy that car. You know what I'm saying? We've put enough to decide. No, no, no. no. Faith, as it looks in the Bible, is always just, woo. And even when the Lord says we count the costs, even when faith is calculated, it's never inconsequential. Yeah, you might not be running up here, falling all down and foaming at the mouth. But if Jesus is about to be invited into your world, you better think about what you're doing. Because when he get in your house, he gonna rearrange everything. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible, y'all. I don't know what you think you're doing. I don't know what we think we're doing. I don't care how many scriptures and catechisms you know. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And forever, who, whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Let me just give you a definition of faith that I've been working on. Faith is just believing that God is who he says he is and he can do what he said he can do. I was doing member interviews and... Uh, Doing with Nicole, we were sitting down with Nicole, and she was talking of the process how she would come to favor Nicole's in the nursery. She's out here somewhere. No, she's in the nursery. Um, but she was talking about how she came to faith and how someone was pursuing her, and they gave her a bunch of books. And she describes this moment where she was um, at campus when during fall break, everybody else is at home. She's in the room, and she's wrestling with all these things, these books, and she's read several books. And she told me, she was like, Tim, I knew. Everything what Jesus was claiming, who he said he was, but I knew I just didn't believe it yet. Say amen. I think that's real, right? There's a difference. There's a difference, right? You can, you can even believe and understand everything that he claims he says he is, but do you believe it yourself? He is who he says he is, 
and he could do everything that he says he can do. This crew came to the house of clay, and they were not deterred by that old clay roof. They weren't deterred by the crowd. Matter of fact, one commentary on the crowds is that the crowd is the single most common attribute in Mark that obstructs access to Jesus. And despite Jesus' popularity, crowds are not a measure of success. What's playing the role of the crowd in your life? What's obstructing you from access to Jesus? And are you willing to do what these four friends did to be able to make sure you get access to that power? Will you be as determined as these friends? I wish there were some, still some Christians around who were desperate. I was messing with Carrie last week because I caught him in worship, and it was a different worship. It wasn't just kind of just singing like, hallelujah, hallelujah. It just, it just wasn't poetic recitation, but it was actually like he, he wanted something from God. And it pinched me. I was like, oh. No, I want that God of the universe. That God who can split billion gallon seas, I, I need him. I don't need to be with y'all singing poems. I need the God who could take pebbles and knock out 10 foot giants. You remember the last time you came into church and you were desperate to get to him? I need something. We were talking in staff meeting about how they, the, the, the prayers in the Old Testament would be based on God's precedent. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, God, I'm not going anywhere unless you do what you did for him, for me. I know what you're capable of, and I need it right now. Anybody begging for some things from God? I just want to let you know it's okay. And you came to the right place, to the one who has all power. So if the four friends are the epitome of faith, then we see in the scribes the exact opposite. Let's go to verse 6. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The friends were convinced God is who he says he is. This God is who he says he is. He can do what they said he can do. The scribes were not. Now there's a bunch of appropriate questions that believers can ask, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, we see dimly, right, through this darkened glass. We don't know it all, and we know things will, will be uh, fully revealed later, right? Um, how is God fully man and fully human, I mean, fully God and fully man at the same time? I don't know. Great question to ask. I don't have those answers, right? Is all of what we do, is it God's sovereignty or is it human responsibility? I don't know. Great question. I don't have all those answers, right? Um, uh, should you be Arminian, Calvinist? Uh, should you wear white on Fourth Sunday? I, you, great. Knock yourself out. You know, do we all supposed to speak in tongues? Great. Knock it out. There's appropriate questions that nobody can give you solid answers for. And we'll know when we get to glory. But going back, we do know this. 
that you have to believe what he says about himself. You have to believe his testimony is true. And the irony of this whole thing is that the very people who are viewed in that specific society as being the closest to God, they could not even recognize God in flesh. And we've seen in chapter 1 how Mark kind of reveals the demonic world is in opposition to the kingdom coming. But now he's going to introduce these cast of characters as also being in opposition, the religious leaders, to Jesus coming. Now, just a brief word on religion. Religion is not a bad word. Turn your neighbor. It's not a bad word. Turn your neighbor. I know it's going to hurt some of y'all. We are religious. <laughs> That's going to hurt you. I know it's going to hurt you because you kind of just caught up in the culture, how they define it. We are religious. What is religion? Religion just means the service and worship of God. It's a commitment of devotion to religious faith. It's a system of beliefs. All those things we have, we check all those. Religion is not a bad word. James 1.27, the Bible uses the word religion. He says, hey, this is pure religion that's undefiled before God. It's to visit the orphans and the widows in their afflictions and to keep one unstained from the world. Sorry, religion is not a bad thing. Where religion gets bad and where we come to roost with these religious leaders is when you have become a legalist, right? These religious leaders, the Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, all those guys, these groups were devout men, students of the word of God. Somewhere along the way, in, in the place of time, they placed more weight on the system, though, than they did the God of the system. And they started to miss the essence of their activity, their system eventually led to more extra-biblical regulations and rules that have more weight even than Scripture. Here's where we have to be careful. Usually when people say that um, they have a relationship and not a religion, you just got to be careful because it's cold word sometimes, is that they want access to the God of the universe just without rules. That's, that's what they're actually saying. You're not going to tell me no rules. I don't impose my rules on myself. I have unlimited forgiveness no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how I live. I just want to tell you, that's not what Christianity is offering you at all. You just want to make sure you get that kind of figured out. The Bible, however, is offering you an opportunity to follow God, to make him your Lord. This is a different thing. And when you make him your Lord, in so doing, you get a relationship with the God of the universe and the rules that lead to life and blessing, and the ruler who will not crush you but empower you. That's what you get when you come to follow Jesus. Now let's get back to the religious leaders. What they forgot is that the world had a tremendous need. They forgot that they themselves were a dependent people. One commentary says that all of the miracles, healings show a world in great need a world under the shadow of death. They also show that the Jewish religion was completely unable. The religion was unable to help them in their need, right? In fact, it probably even made their situation worse by excluding them as unclean and so making God seem even further away to the people who needed him most. By coming to Jesus, this group shows the reader that faith means turning to Jesus Christ in the midst of real physical needs in this world under the shadow of death and being prepared to follow him into the kingdom. What are you trying to say, Tim? If you have physical needs, come to Jesus. If you have financial needs, run to Jesus. If you have relational needs, come to Jesus. He's the one who has all the power and the authority. He's the only one who can have problems that all can be solved. 
You can ask a million questions, but true saving faith ends here. He is who he says he is. He can do what he said he can do. Jesus is the answer to all life's questions. Here's what I want to tell you. You become religious when you try to answer life's questions with any system minus Jesus. That's when you're religious. Just because you go to Bible study don't make you religious. Just because you go to church every week and you encourage other people not to forsake, that don't make you religious in the legalistic way. You are religious in the good way. But you become religious when you forget Pharisees, how much you actually need him. You become religious when you forget that the systems that were created are only meant to facilitate a relationship with him. Just imagine this, right? I do a sports one and then I do, I do, I do a pop culture one first. You know what I'm saying? Hey, before Beyonce became Sasha Fierce, what was she now? What was she a part of? You're part of Destiny's Child. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. She's a part of Destiny's Child, right? Now, I can't remember the other girls' names, right? But, you know, oh. What's the books of the Bible? <laughs> I can't, you know. So, you got Kelly and Michelle and the other girl got cut long. Yeah, all, all of them. All of them. Okay? Now, I don't know who it was. Matthew knows. Papa knows. Sister knows. I don't know who it was. But somebody figured out, hmm. We got a once-in-a-generational talent right here, and I think we need to stop trifling with letting everybody else get a part. Let's just give her a mic and get out the way, and let's sell as many records for the last 20 years as anybody else. Let's just, let's just do that, right? You know, it's like the Lakers and LeBron, right? Okay, you lucked up and you won the LeBron lottery, okay? Now, Luke Walton, who's the coach, you need to don't get over there talking about, hey, man, all right, this one, LeBron, this is what we want you to do, man. Uh, we're going to run a couple plays like this. Now, pass it here and go stand there, and this is the role we want for you. No, man, that's not how LeBron works. You just give LeBron the ball. You just give it to him. You know, all y'all Laker fans just, look, playoff LeBron and this LeBron. You, just, you know what happened in the playoffs? Everybody just say, here, LeBron. I ain't never seen a human being like it. They just, every play, here, bro, do your thing, right? That's what happens when you encounter the transcendent talent and transcendent power. Could you imagine us at the eschaton, at the end, getting to heaven, talking about, hey, y'all, can we get together for a small group? Man, you better, man, nobody want. We ain't doing no small group in heaven. We here. He's here. We don't need no Devo time, man. The one we were waiting on and praying for is here and we have him now. These boneheads are watching transcendent power. And they're like, I don't know, man. You just saw what we saw. The man came from the ceiling and he walking now. Now. I don't know how you're going to mess that up and dress that up. And it is what it is, y'all. Make sure you're asking the right questions. Let's close with the best use of the power. And immediately, verse 8, Jesus perceiving in the spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk. 
Jesus declares to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, the religious leaders start questioning. What were they questioning? Now, every scribe would know that in the Old Testament Judaism, that no man had authority to forgive sins, even the Messiah, right? No one had the authority to forgive sins. Only God and God alone had the authority to forgive sin. If this man is claiming to forgive sin, then he was either claiming to be God or placing himself on par with God. Now, just a little more context. Why would Jesus even say your sins are forgiven in the first place to our first century Jewish friends? The man is paralyzed. He says your sins are forgiven. That's, hey, Jesus, that's not what we need here. <laughs> My man can't walk or talk. <laughs> Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. But, <laughs> but in Judaism, we know this because we've been kind of reading the scripture. We know that illness and impairment are synonymous with sin, right? You remember Job? Job's friends like, hey, man, what you did? You must have did something. You having all this chaos and problem, right? You remember John 9 at, that, at the pool? They said, man, who sinned? Your mom or your father? Why you like this, right? Must be sin. Sin is a big deal, number one. But the irony is this. As long as Jesus was healing bodies, he was okay. He may have gotten lucky. He might have had some nice spells. He had a cool thing going. But forgiving sin, Jesus, you've gone way too far. Verse 9, which is the easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed, and walk? Clearly for us, the easier thing would be to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Because nobody could disprove that, couldn't confirm it, couldn't deny it, right? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, is what I'll do. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus said, no problem, man. You think I'm bluffing you if I just say your sins are forgiven? That's cool. I'll heal his body so that you know I have all authority. I also want to say this. You do know the best use of God's authority, his omnipotence, is to Forgive our sins. You don't ever need to forget that. My friends, you have some strange days ahead of you. There are times that we're going to be crying together, walking through some crazy life circumstances. We're going to be praying for you, with you. There's some days ahead that will just be downright strange and will remind you that you were made for something else and better. But the only thing that can comfort you in those dark seasons of night is to know that your sins are forgiven. Not new cars, not new houses, not new raises or jobs. But to know that your heavenly father is making all things right. And because he's forgiven your sins, you can be a part of life as it's supposed to be lived. As he pronounces the final words of healing over the paralytic, he drops a not-so-subtle hint. He calls himself the Son of Man. The title Son of Man occurs 80 times in the New Testament. Only twice was it not used by Jesus. What are you trying to say, Tim? It's Jesus' favorite title for himself. I'm the Son of Man. Son of Man is a direct reference to Daniel 7. 
where the ancients of days um, is going to bestow power, appoint um, a Lord over the earth who will receive the kingdom forever. Those of y'all who love Matthew 28, where it begins, all authority has been given to me. That's another direct reference to Daniel 7, where this one has been given all power. Jesus says, I am the one who the world has been waiting on. I have all power. Jesus the Christ. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. So what do we do with all this? Well, my one advice to you is if you recognize that the Christ of the Bible has all power and all authority, then just like the four men, you don't just go to church. You need to run to church. You need to run towards the one who has all power and authority, and you don't need to let anything stand in your way, not even church. Get to Jesus. You do believe that in your heart, that everything can be solved. If I can just get to his presence, you will see it all over and over again throughout the Gospels. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, does your heart yearn like that? Are you just content with all the rules that we have? That's when you've become legalistic and you forget what he can do. You need to know that Christ says to you today that he has the authority to speak to your finances. Don't stop praying about that. He's got all authority. He's got authority to heal your body. He's got authority to do a miracle in your family at Thanksgiving this week. Come to him. This is, this is not just salvific. This is all power. Come to him who has all authority. But more than that, what Christ says to you is he doesn't want to just make your life better without forgiving you, which is the most important use of his power. And since God alone possesses all authority, we must come to him for all of our needs, especially the forgiveness of sins. Verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Maybe today as we go out, we could do the same. Have you ever seen power like his, at least like what he claims it? Have you ever known forgiveness? I think one of the saddest things I've ever done, I was uh, speaking with the Jehovah's Witness at God's Restaurant. Y'all know what God's Restaurant is? Golden Corral, baby. I just, I think when it's all, I think when it's all, all over, God's just going to say, hey, man, all the steak you want, salad bar, chicken, whatever, this, everything. Yes. Anyway. The quality and the quantity. More emphasis on the quantity. Um, but I was at, I was, at, um, I was at the restaurant, and um, me and my boys were tearing, d- throwing down, you know, upwards four plates, five plates. Okay. And um, some guy called himself, he's trying to witness to me, and uh, he came up. And, okay, he's, he's talking Bible stuff, Jesus stuff. I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And he's like, man, do you know that you're forgiven? You got to work. Because, uh, you know, Jehovah, and I was like, oh, okay, I see where we're going. She's a Jehovah Witness. And uh, I said, of course, I know I've been forgiven. F- 
freely justified by faith. The gift of God is eternal life. I said, do you know you're forgiven? He said, he started going to this, well, you know, only a certain number and got to keep work. I said, oh, my God. I almost started crying in front of him. What good would it be to live on this earth and serve a good God and not know? You have to live and die every moment. The way I love my wife today, does that mean I'm in or out? The way that I move tomorrow, does it mean in or out? You always got to be weighing the scales, the freedom of knowing that you've been forgiven. My God, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Not even a brand new 23-year-old ripped up body. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. 